You know, at the time of Jesus, the uh, Jewish people had lived under the iron heel of the Roman government for a generation, two generations actually, for three generations since about 63 B.C. Uh, they had lived as uh, vassals of Rome. Pontius Pilate, the governor that had been placed there, despised the Jewish people and, uh, and made life as hard for them as he possibly could. And we can't imagine the, 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 the tax rate and the, the abuse and uh, many of the Roman soldiers uh, took liberties with the Jewish uh, people, with the Jewish girls, and there was such a hatred, such a, such a fear of Rome and such a hatred for Rome. And it certainly had inflamed the messianic hopes from the earliest times the Jews had been promised a deliverer and they looked back to the life of David, King David and there had been a promise that a son of David a descendant of David would someday come and ascend the throne and that he would uh, deliver his people he would save his people and for generations the Jewish people had looked forward to the day when they would be able to say Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna. The word simply means save now. Save now. Now is the time for that salvation to come. They had hoped for it, longed for it, waited for it, prayed for it. And uh, as Jesus began to preach and teach and perform miracles, talk about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here. And the people began to say, this is our hope. Jesus is perhaps that one we've waited for. He is a descendant of David. He is a son of David. And, uh, and his teachings and his works and his uh, very personality caused them to think maybe this is the one. And as Passover drew near, the week before Passover, the Sunday before Passover, Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem amid the hopes of the people. And I'll read it out of Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 10 Verse beginning in verse uh, 28. I mean, Luke chapter 19, verse 28. And after Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You just say, The Lord has need of it. 
So those who were sent away, sent, went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, and they're quoting scripture here, Zechariah 9, 9, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it. Jesus sitting on this colt, tears running down his face, weeping, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the day or the time of your visitation. A lot going on in this passage of Scripture. Jesus coming into the city that he obviously had prepared for this. He had planned for this. It was the time of the year that literally... Hundreds of thousands of people. Somebody has estimated possibly up to 2 million people would have come into Jerusalem for the Passover season. Coming from every place, every country, every place. And uh, the city was jam-packed. And it was at this time that Jesus presented himself to the people as the king. Jesus, by doing what he did, was actually making a statement. He was saying, your king is coming to you. Now, everybody in the crowd, everybody in the city understood the message. Jesus was declaring himself to be the king. Now, a hundred years before this, another man had come into the city named Judas Maccabeus. He had come riding on a stallion, and the people cried out at that time, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they thought that he had come to deliver uh, the Jews, and he did actually. He did deliver the Jews from, uh, from the pagan rule, but it only lasted a short time, and then Rome came under 
General Pompey and defeated the Jewish Jewish people and brought them back under uh, under Roman control. And now, a hundred years has passed, almost as seventy years have passed, and Jesus comes into the city, presenting himself as the King, the Son of David the one they had hoped for. But it didn't go as they had planned. He comes riding not on a stallion, but he comes riding on a colt. He comes riding on a donkey. What kind of king comes on a donkey? Well, a king who's coming in the name of peace. A king who came riding on a stallion said, I'm coming to conquer A king who comes riding on a donkey says, I'm coming as a king of peace. I'm coming to make peace with the people in this city. And that must have been a surprise to the people who saw him coming, and yet they spread the palm branches out and their cloaks before him, and they cried out, Hosanna, save now. And Jesus had come to offer salvation. And as he rode into the city, he looked at the city of Jerusalem, that beautiful, beautiful city with the massive temple clearly in sight coming from the Mount of Olives. And he begins to cry. He looks at that city and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Would that you, even you, had known on the day, on this day, what real peace is about. I wish you understood how to have real peace. Peace does not come from being out from under Rome. Peace comes from being out from under the grip of sin. Peace comes from knowing that you are forgiven and having the king reign not on a throne but in your own heart. And you could have peace. But he said, you don't understand it. And he says, the days are coming. And really within 40 years, exactly what Jesus said happened to Jerusalem. He said, the days are coming when this city will be completely surrounded by soldiers. And they will destroy this city and they will kill and kill and kill and kill. And we're told by the historians that when the Romans sacked Jerusalem in 70 A.D. that the blood flowed ankle deep throughout the city of Jerusalem. That so many people were killed and people were just sliced open with swords and the Romans armies came in and they killed all the way right up into the temple the very last holdout was in the temple area and when the soldiers finally broke through the temple wall and got in they killed priest after priest after priest and blood flowed from the temple mount down into the streets of the city of Jerusalem and uh It's no wonder that Jesus wept, seeing that this was coming upon that city. But he said, I have come to offer you peace. 
I've come to offer you salvation. Save now. Save now. And in that crowd, there were all kinds of people. There were the people who were just, uh, that were committed. The disciples were committed. They said, before they even got to Jerusalem, Thomas said, let's go to Jerusalem, and if we have to, we'll die with him. But they were committed to Jesus. They didn't fully understand yet what his plan was. They certainly didn't know, even though he had told them, they couldn't quite grasp that he was not coming to Jerusalem to take over, but he was coming to lay down his life and die on a cross. And so there were those that were committed to him, but then there were the curious in the crowd. They were wondering, what is going on? And I want to tell you, in our world today, in our culture today, in America today, there are people who look at Christians and Christianity and they just wonder about us. And they look at Jesus and they're curious, but they're not committed. But then there were those who were the critics, those who... uh, who despised Jesus, and they despised the followers of Jesus. I'll just tell you that today, there's a growing animosity. You already know this, but there's a growing animosity toward Christians in America today. There are those who hate us because they hate him. Now, there are some who hate us because of the abuse they've seen by nominal Christians, But the truth is, they hate any message that says there's only one way to be right with God. They hate our narrowness, they call it. They say, you're so restrictive, you are so so single-minded that you believe that Jesus is the only way. And when someone says to me, I don't understand you Christians, you think there's only one way to heaven Why? And I say simply because Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father unless he comes by me. But we didn't make that message up. That's the message of our king. And we say to people today, there is one way. And that way is Jesus, but that way is open to all who will come to him. But there's a growing animosity toward not just that message, but to those of us who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've kept up with much of what's going on in the news the last uh, uh, year, especially, and it's escalating day by day by day. There's more restrictions being placed on the speech of Christians. There's more restrictions being placed on the worship of Christians. Just a couple of weeks ago, a woman was called on in Congress to pray, and she prayed a very fervent, intense prayer in Jesus' name, and people got up and walked out while she was praying, and then when she said amen, there were loud boos coming from members of our own Congress. 
And then the next week, a Muslim was asked to pray, and they read a prayer from the Quran, and there was an applause that went up as a way of saying, we just want everybody to know that we favor this, but we oppose that. Let me tell you, in America, we have had the home field advantage as Christians for 200 years. But we are now the visiting team. And the home field advantage now belongs to the other side. And it is a day, as Joshua said to the people in his day, choose you this day whom you will serve. Will you be committed to Christ? Are you going to try to namby-pamby, water down so that you can be friends with everybody? And I want to tell you, when we stand for truth, those who stand for the lie will hate us. And Jesus even said, you will be hated for my testimony, for my name. And I guess the question is, are we willing to take a stand even when we know that we will be hated for it? And that's what Jesus calls us to do. And I know that there are a lot lot of teaching today, a lot of false teaching today that kind of gives the impression that if you come to Jesus, if you're a Christian, that everything's going to go well for you, that you're going to be loved by all people, that you're going to be uh, prosperous and healthy and all this kind of stuff, you don't get that teaching from the Bible. You have to twist verses all out of context and totally out of shape to teach anything like that. Jesus made it clear that in this world, you will have opposition, and tribulation in this world. And so Jesus does not come as a king to offer us prosperity and peace in a world that hates him. As a matter of fact, to follow him means that we're going to run headlong into the opposition that opposes him. And the question is, will we be willing to speak the truth Yes, we do it in love, but we speak the truth. And we can have all the love in the world in our heart, but it may not be interpreted as love in the ears of the hearers. And all you have to do, and by the way, we still live in the Bible Belt. And there is less opposition here than in almost any other place in America. You go to the East Coast and you go to the West Coast and you take a stand for Jesus there and you can be not just ridiculed, you can be hurt. And it is happening. It's happening and will increase, I believe, in the days that are to come. So the king comes and the crowd, there's the compassionate Christ weeping for the people coming to present himself as a king of peace who will offer peace, not by a sword, but by a cross. And then there's the committed group, 
There's the curious group, there's the critical group, and then there's the crucifying group. The ones like the Pharisees who said, tell these people to shut up. And Jesus said, if they were to be silent, even the stones would cry out. And I'm telling you today, there is a, a way before us. We can decide today which of those crowds we're going to be in. I want to be in the committed crowd. And by the way, some of those who were committed, in fact, many of those who were committed to Jesus, suffered the same fate that he did in a sense. And many of them laid down their life for the truth as they followed Jesus. But Jesus goes into the city, cleanses the temple. He he has a whole series of things. I hope you'll read about this week in preparation for next Sunday. He's crucified. We normally think of it as Good Friday. We'll be having a Good Friday service this Friday night here at the church to to, uh, actually uh, uh, remind us of what he experienced on that on the cross and then he's buried and everybody thinks that's the end but three days later on early on Sunday morning he rises and our king is living even now now you say well what about this Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord someday we will sing that again There is coming a day when Jesus will come back and he will not come riding on a donkey the next time. The book of Revelation tells us he'll come riding on that white stallion. He comes the next time to enforce peace. It'll be his peace. He comes the next time to as a a judge, not as a savior. And I'm telling you right now, everyone who will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved now. And you can say, Hosanna, save now. Lord, I trust you now to save me. And you'll not be saved from persecution. You'll not be saved from poverty. You'll not be saved from difficulty. You'll be saved from hell. You'll be saved from judgment. You'll be saved from the power of sin. And you will be saved for the king and the kingdom. So as we take the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes, it'll just be a reminder to us. Jesus said, as often as you do this, you do it to remember me. And as we take these elements in a few minutes... We're going to be remembering that Jesus came to save us, not from difficulty. As a matter of fact, he almost promised that we would have difficulty. He did promise, didn't almost promise. He promised that we'd have difficulty and face opposition. We haven't faced it much in our country. I'm telling you, more people, are dying for their faith in Jesus today than did in the time of the Roman Empire. 
more Christians, especially in China right now, in China there's a renewed movement to eradicate Christians out of that country. And there are well over a hundred million, maybe more, Christians in China who are facing extermination if they refuse to recant their faith. And we don't know anything about that in our country today, do we? I mean, whatever opposition, whatever uh, uh, our, our, our granddaughter out in uh, uh, living in San Diego, California right now, Jason's second daughter, has been witnessing to a young woman out there, and she just ridicules the very name of Jesus, the Word of God. Now, she hasn't gotten belligerent in the sense of trying to hurt Felicia, but she's definitely hurt her feelings, and she has made fun of the very name of Jesus. And I tell you, someday there is coming a day when all of those who have mocked his name now will someday bow their knee and declare his name is the name above every name. But I want to be one of those committed. I want to be one of those who are willing to speak, willing to stand, willing to say that Jesus is Lord. And by taking the Lord's Supper this morning, it's kind of a renewed declaration in our own heart. Every time we take the Lord's Supper is a reminder to us that our king came and purchased our salvation as the prince of peace. But it's also a reminder that he's coming again to judge this world as the king of glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you on this Palm Sunday that we can say our king has come, but we can also say our king is coming, and we live in between those two comings of Christ, but we live with him as our king, as our Lord, as our master, and I pray for those today who may not have ever received him, I pray that they will be able to say, Hosanna, Lord, save now. Save now. Your word says that now is the time of salvation. Today is the day. And I pray that uh, you will also help us as your children to be willing to stand against the insults and the assaults of a world that hates you. And as Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. And I pray that you'll give us the grace and the courage to stand in the face of opposition, insults, or even assaults. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website www.bearcreekbaptist.org 
If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.